Section fourteen of Round the Sofa by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. My Lady Ludlow, Part thirteen. I had always understood that Miss Galindo had once been in much better circumstances, but I had never liked to ask any questions respecting her. But about this time many things came out respecting her former life, which I will try and arrange, not, however, in the order in which I heard them, but rather as they occurred. Miss Galindo was the daughter of a clergyman in Westmoreland. Her father was the younger brother of a baronet, his ancestor having been one of those of James I's creation. This baronet uncle of Miss Galindo was one of the queer, out-of-the-way people who were bred at that time, and in that northern district of England. I never heard much of him from any one, besides this one great fact, that he had early disappeared from his family, which indeed only consisted of a brother and sister who died unmarried, and lived no one knew where somewhere on the continent it was supposed for he had never returned from the grand tour which he had been sent to make according to the general fashion of the day as soon as he had left oxford he corresponded occasionally with his brother the clergyman but the letters passed through a banker's hands the banker being pledged to secrecy and as he told mr galindo having the penalty if he broke his pledge of losing the whole profitable business and of having the management of the baronet's affairs taken out of his hands without any advantage accruing to the inquirer for sir lawrence had told messrs graham that in case his place of residence was revealed by them not only would he cease to bank with them but instantly take measures to baffle any future inquiries as to his whereabouts by removing to some distant country sir lawrence paid a certain sum of money to his brother's account every year but the time of this payment varied and it was sometimes eighteen or nineteen months between the deposits then again it would not be above a quarter of the time showing that he intended it to be annual but as this intention was never expressed in words it was impossible to rely upon it and a great deal of this money was swallowed up by the necessity mr galindo felt himself under of living in the large old rambling family mansion which had been one of sir lawrence's rarely expressed desires mr and mrs galindo often planned to live upon their own small fortune and the income derived from the living a vicarage of which the great tithes went to sir lawrence as lay improprietor so as to put by the payments made by the baronet for the benefit of laurentia our miss galindo but i suppose they found it difficult to live economically in a large house even though they had it rent-free they had to keep up with hereditary neighbours and friends and could hardly help doing it in the hereditary manner one of these neighbours a mr gibson had a son a few years older than laurentia the families were sufficiently intimate for the young people to see a good deal of each other and i was told that this young mr mark gibson was an unusually prepossessing man 
he seemed to have impressed every one who spoke of him to me as being a handsome manly kind-hearted fellow just what a girl would be sure to find most agreeable the parents either forgot that their children were growing up to man's and woman's estate or thought that that intimacy and probable attachment would be no bad thing even if it did lead to a marriage still nothing was ever said by young gibson till later on when it was too late as it turned out he went to and from oxford he shot and fished with mr galindo or came to the mere to skate in winter time was asked to accompany mr galindo to the hall as the latter returned to quiet dinner with his wife and daughter and so and so it went on nobody much knew how until one day when mr galindo received a formal letter from his brother's bankers announcing sir lawrence's death of malarial fever at albano and congratulating sir hubert on his accession to the estates and the baronetcy the king is dead long live the king as i have since heard that the french express it sir hubert and his wife were greatly surprised sir lawrence was but two years older than his brother and they had never heard of any illness till they heard of his death they were sorry very much shocked but still a little elated at the succession to the baronetcy and estates the london bankers had managed everything well there was a large sum of ready money in their hands at sir hubert's service until he should touch his rents the rent roll being eight thousand a year and only Laurentia to inherit it all. Her mother, a poor clergyman's daughter, began to plan all sorts of fine marriages for her, nor was her father much behind his wife in his ambition. They took her up to London, when they went to buy new carriages and dresses and furniture, and it was then and there she made my lady's acquaintance. How it was they came to take a fancy to each other I cannot say. My lady was of the old nobility, grand, composed, gentle, and stately in her ways. Miss Galindo must always have been hurried in her manner, and her energy must have shown itself in inquisitiveness and oddness even in her youth. But I don't pretend to account for things, I only narrate them. And the fact was this, that the elegant, fastidious countess was attracted to the country girl, who on her part almost worshipped my lady my lady's notice of their daughter made her parents think i suppose that there was no match that she might not command she the heiress of eight thousand a year and visiting about amongst earls and dukes so when they came back to their old westmoreland hall and mark gibson rode over to offer his hand and his heart and prospective estate of nine hundred a year to his old companion and playfellow Laurentia, sir hubert and lady galindo made very short work of it they refused him plumply themselves and when he begged to be allowed to speak to Laurentia, they found some excuse for refusing him the opportunity of so doing until they had talked to her themselves and brought up every argument and fact in their power to convince her a plain girl and conscious of her plainness that mr mark gibson had never thought of her in the way of marriage till after her father's accession to his fortune and that it was the estate not the young lady that he was in love with 
I suppose it will never be known in this world how far this supposition of theirs was true. My Lady Ludlow had always spoken as if it was. But perhaps events, which came to her knowledge about this time, altered her opinion. At any rate, the end of it was, Laurentia refused Mark, and almost broke her heart in doing so. He discovered the suspicions of Sir Hubert and Lady Galindo, and that they had persuaded their daughter to share in them. So he flung off with high words, saying that they did not know a true heart when they met with one, and that although he had never offered till after Sir Lawrence's death, yet that his father knew all along that he had been attached to Laurentia, only that he, being the eldest of five children, and having as yet no profession, had had to conceal, rather than to express, an attachment which, in those days, he had believed was reciprocated. He had always meant to study for the bar, and the end of all he had hoped for had been to earn a moderate income which he might ask Laurentia to share. This, or something like it, was what he said. But his reference to his father cut two ways. Old Mr. Gibson was known to be very keen about money. It was just as likely that he would urge Mark to make love to the heiress, now she was an heiress, as that he would have restrained him previously, as Mark said he had done. When this was repeated to Mark, he became proudly reserved, or sullen, and said that Laurentia, at any rate, might have known him better. He left the country and went up to London to study law soon afterwards, and Sir Hubert and Lady Galindo thought they were well rid of him. But Laurentia never ceased reproaching herself, and never did to her dying day, as I believe. The words, she might have known me better, told to her by some kind friend or other, rankled in her mind, and were never forgotten. Her father and mother took her up to London the next year, but she did not care to visit, dreaded going out even for a drive, lest she should see Mark Gibson's reproachful eyes, pined and lost her health. Lady Ludlow saw this change with regret, and was told the cause by Lady Galindo, who, of course, gave her own version of Mark's conduct and motives. My lady never spoke to Miss Galindo about it, but tried constantly to interest and please her. It was at this time that my lady told Miss Galindo so much about her own early life, and about Hanbury, that Miss Galindo resolved, if ever she could, she would go and see the old place which her friend loved so well. The end of it all was that she came to live there, as we know. But a great change was to come first. Before Sir Hubert and Lady Galindo had left London on this, their second visit, they had a letter from the lawyer whom they employed, saying that Sir Lawrence had left an heir, his legitimate child by an Italian woman of low rank. At least legal claims to the title and property had been sent in to him on the boy's behalf. Sir Lawrence had always been a man of adventurous and artistic, rather than of luxurious tastes, and it was supposed, when all came to be proved at the trial, that he was captivated by the free, beautiful life they led in Italy, and had married this Neapolitan fisherman's daughter, who had people about her shrewd enough to see that the ceremony was legally performed. She and her husband had wandered about the shores of the Mediterranean for years, 
leading a happy careless irresponsible life unencumbered by any duties except those connected with a rather numerous family it was enough for her that they never wanted money and that her husband's love was always continued to her she hated the name of england wicked cold heretic england and avoided the mention of any subject connected with her husband's early life so that when he died at albano she was almost roused out of her vehement grief to anger with the italian doctor who declared that he must write to a certain address to announce the death of lawrence galindo for some time she feared lest english barbarians might come down upon her making a claim to the children she hid herself and them in the abruzzi living upon the sale of what furniture and jewels sir lawrence had died possessed of when these failed she returned to naples which she had not visited since her marriage her father was dead but her brother inherited some of his keenness he interested the priests who made inquiries and found that the galindo succession was worth securing to an heir of the true faith they stirred about it obtained advice at the english embassy and hence that letter to the lawyers calling upon sir hubert to relinquish title and property and to refund what money he had expended he was vehement in his opposition to this claim he could not bear to think of his brother having married a foreigner a papist a fisherman's daughter nay of his having become a papist himself he was in despair at the thought of his ancestral property going to the issue of such a marriage he fought tooth and nail making enemies of his relations and losing almost all his own private property for he would go on against the lawyer's advice long after every one was convinced except himself and his wife at last he was conquered he gave up his living in gloomy despair he would have changed his name if he could so desirous was he to obliterate all ties between himself and the mongrel papist baronet and his italian mother and all the succession of children and nurses who came to take possession of the hall soon after mr hubert galindo's departure stayed there one winter and then flitted back to naples with gladness and delight mr and mrs hubert galindo lived in london he had obtained a curacy somewhere in the city they would have been thankful now if mr mark gibson had renewed his offer no one could accuse him of mercenary motives if he had done so because he did not come forward as they wished they brought his silence up as a justification of what they had previously attributed to him i don't know what miss galindo thought herself but lady ludlow has told me how she shrank from hearing her parents abuse him lady ludlow supposed that he was aware that they were living in london his father must have known the fact and it was curious if he had never named it to his son besides the name was very uncommon and it was unlikely that it should never come across him in the advertisements of charity sermons which the new and rather eloquent curate of st mark's east was asked to preach all this time lady ludlow never lost sight of them for miss galindo's sake and when the father and mother died it was my lady who upheld miss galindo in her determination not to apply for any provision to her cousin the italian baronet 
but rather to live upon the hundred a year which had been settled on her mother and the children of his son hubert's marriage by the old grandfather sir lawrence mr mark gibson had risen to some eminence as a barrister on the northern circuit but had died unmarried in the lifetime of his father a victim so people said to intemperance dr trevor the physician who had been called in to mr gray and harry gregson had married a sister of his and that was all my lady knew about the gibson family but who was bessie that mystery and secret came out too in process of time miss galindo had been to warwick some years before i arrived at hanbury on some kind of business or shopping which can only be transacted in a county town there was an old westmoreland connection between her and mrs trevor though i believe the latter was too young to have been made aware of her brother's offer to miss galindo at the time when it took place and such affairs if they are unsuccessful are seldom spoken about in the gentleman's family afterwards but the gibsons and galindos had been country neighbours too long for the connection not to be kept up between two members settled far away from their early homes miss galindo always desired her parcels to be sent to dr trevor's when she went to warwick for shopping purchases if she were going any journey and the coach did not come through warwick as soon as she arrived in my lady's coach or otherwise from hanbury she went to dr trevor's to wait she was as much expected to sit down to the household meals as if she had been one of the family and in after years it was mrs trevor who managed her repository business for her so on the day i spoke of she had gone to dr trevor's to rest and possibly to dine the post in those times came in at all hours of the morning and dr trevor's letters had not arrived until after his departure on his morning round miss galindo was sitting down to dinner with mrs trevor and her seven children when the doctor came in he was flurried and uncomfortable and hurried the children away as soon as he decently could then rather feeling miss galindo's presence an advantage both as a present restraint on the violence of his wife's grief and as a consoler when he was absent on his afternoon round he told mrs trevor of her brother's death he had been taken ill on circuit and had hurried back to his chambers in london only to die she cried terribly but dr trevor said afterwards he never noticed that miss galindo cared much about it one way or another she helped him to soothe his wife promised to stay with her all the afternoon instead of returning to hanbury and afterwards offered to remain with her while the doctor went to attend the funeral when they heard of the old love story between the dead man and miss galindo brought up by mutual friends in westmoreland in the review which we are all inclined to take of the events of a man's life when he comes to die they tried to remember miss galindo's speeches and ways of going on during this visit she was a little pale a little silent her eyes were sometimes swollen and her nose red but she was at an age when such appearances are generally attributed to a bad cold in the head rather than to any more sentimental reason they felt towards her as towards an old friend a kindly useful eccentric old maid she did not expect more 
or wish them to remember that she might once have had other hopes and more youthful feelings dr trevor thanked her very warmly for staying with his wife when he returned home from london where the funeral had taken place he begged miss galindo to stay with them when the children were gone to bed and she was preparing to leave the husband and wife by themselves he told her and his wife many particulars then paused then went on and mark has left a child a little girl but he never married exclaimed mrs trevor a little girl continued her husband whose mother i conclude is dead at any rate the child was in possession of his chambers she and an old nurse who seemed to have the charge of everything and has cheated poor mark i should fancy not a little but the child asked mrs trevor still almost breathless with astonishment how do you know it is his the nurse told me it was with great appearance of indignation at my doubting it i asked the little thing her name and all i could get was bessie and the cry of me once papa the nurse said that the mother was dead and she knew no more about it than that mr gibson had engaged her to take care of the little girl calling it his child one or two of his lawyer friends whom i met with at the funeral told me that they were aware of the existence of the child what is to be done with her asked mrs gibson nay i don't know replied he mark has hardly left assets enough to pay his debts and your father is not inclined to come forward that night as dr trevor sat in his study after his wife had gone to bed miss galindo knocked at his door she and he had a long conversation the result was that he accompanied miss galindo up to town the next day that they took possession of the little bessie and she was brought down and placed at nurse at a farm in the country near warwick miss galindo undertaking to pay one half of the expense and to furnish her with clothes and dr trevor undertaking that the remaining half should be furnished by the gibson family or by himself in their default miss galindo was not fond of children and i dare say she dreaded taking this child to live with her for more reasons than one my lady ludlow could not endure any mention of illegitimate children it was a principle of hers that society ought to ignore them and i believe miss galindo had always agreed with her until now when the thing came home to her womanly heart still she shrank from having this child of some strange woman under her roof she went over to see it from time to time she worked at its clothes long after every one thought she was in bed and when the time came for bessie to be sent to school miss galindo laboured away more diligently than ever in order to pay the increased expense for the gibson family had at first paid their part of the compact but with unwillingness and grudging hearts then they had left it off altogether and it fell hard on dr trevor with his twelve children and latterly miss galindo had taken upon herself almost all the burden one can hardly live and labour and plan and make sacrifices for any human creature without learning to love it and bessie loved miss galindo too for all the poor girl's scanty pleasures came from her 
and miss galindo had always a kind word and latterly many a kind caress for mark gibson's child whereas if she went to dr trevor's for her holiday she was overlooked and neglected in that bustling family who seemed to think that if she had comfortable board and lodgings under their roof it was enough i am sure now that miss galindo had often longed to have bessie to live with her but as long as she could pay for her being at school she did not like to take so bold a step as bringing her home knowing what the effect of the consequent explanation would be on my lady and as the girl was now more than seventeen and past the age where young ladies are usually kept at school and as there was no great demand for governesses in those days and as bessie had never been taught any trade by which to earn her own living why i don't exactly see what could have been done but for miss galindo to bring her to her own home in hanbury for although the child had grown up lately in a kind of unexpected manner into a young woman miss galindo might have kept her at school for a year longer if she could have afforded it but this was impossible when she became mr horner's clerk and relinquished all the payment of her repository work and perhaps after all she was not sorry to be compelled to take the step she was longing for at any rate bessie came to live with miss galindo in a very few weeks from the time when captain james set miss galindo free to superintend her own domestic economy again for a long time i knew nothing about this new inhabitant of hanbury my lady never mentioned her in any way this was in accordance with lady ludlow's well-known principles she neither saw nor heard nor was in any way cognizant of the existence of those who had no legal right to exist at all if miss galindo had hoped to have an exception made in bessie's favour she was mistaken my lady sent a note inviting miss galindo herself to tea one evening about a month after bessie came but miss galindo had a cold and could not come the next time she was invited she had an engagement at home a step nearer to the absolute truth and the third time she had a young friend staying with her whom she was unable to leave my lady accepted every excuse as bona fide and took no further notice i missed miss galinda very much we all did for in the days when she was clerk she was sure to come in and find the opportunity of saying something amusing to some of us before she went away and i as an invalid or perhaps from natural tendency was particularly fond of little bits of village gossip there was no mr horner he even had come in now and then with formal stately pieces of intelligence and there was no miss galindo in these days i missed her much and so did my lady i am sure behind all her quiet sedate manner i am certain her heart ached sometimes for a few words from miss galindo who seemed to have absented herself altogether from the hall now bessie was come captain james might be very sensible and all that but not even my lady could call him a substitute for the old familiar friends he was a thorough sailor as sailors were in those days swore a good deal drank a good deal without its ever affecting him in the least and was very prompt and kind-hearted in all his actions 
but he was not accustomed to women as my lady once said and would judge in all things for himself my lady had expected i think to find someone who would take his notions on the management of her estate from her ladyship's own self but he spoke as if he were responsible for the good management of the whole and must consequently be allowed full liberty of action he had been too long in command over men at sea to like to be directed by a woman in anything he undertook even though that woman was my lady i suppose this was the common sense my lady spoke of but when common sense goes against us i don't think we value it quite so much as we ought to lady ludlow was proud of her personal superintendence of her own estate she liked to tell us how her father used to take her with him in his rides and bid her observe this and that and on no account to allow such and such things to be done but i have heard that the first time she told all this to captain james he told her point-blank that he had heard from mr smithson that the farms were much neglected and the rents sadly behindhand and that he meant to set to in good earnest and study agriculture and see how he could remedy the state of things my lady would i am sure be greatly surprised but what could she do here was the very man she had chosen herself setting to with all his energy to conquer the defect of ignorance which was all that those who had presumed to offer her ladyship advice had ever had to say against him captain james read arthur young's tours in all his spare time as long as he was an invalid and shook his head at my lady's accounts as to how the land had been cropped or left fallow from time immemorial then he set to and tried too many new experiments at once my lady looked on in dignified silence but all the farmers and tenants were in an uproar and prophesied a hundred failures perhaps fifty did occur they were only half as many as lady ludlow had feared but they were twice as many four eight times as many as the captain had anticipated his openly expressed disappointment made him popular again the rough country people could not have understood silent and dignified regret at the failure of his plans but they sympathized with a man who swore at his ill success sympathized even while they chuckled over his discomfiture mr brooke the retired tradesman did not cease blaming him for not succeeding and for swearing but what could you expect from a sailor mr brooke asked even in my lady's hearing though he might have known captain james was my lady's own personal choice from the old friendship mr urian had always shown for him i think it was this speech of the birmingham bakers that made my lady determined to stand by captain james and encourage him to try again for she would not allow that her choice had been an unwise one at the bidding as it were of a dissenting tradesman the only person in the neighbourhood too who had flaunted about in coloured clothes when all the world was in mourning for my lady's only son captain james would have thrown the agency up at once if my lady had not felt herself bound to justify the wisdom of her choice by urging him to stay he was much touched by her confidence in him and swore a great oath that the next year he would make the land such as it had never been before for produce 
it was not my lady's way to repeat anything she had heard especially to another person's disadvantage so i don't think she ever told captain james of mr brooke's speech about a sailor's being likely to mismanage the property and the captain was too anxious to succeed in this the second year of his trial to be above going to the flourishing shrewd mr brooke and asking for his advice as to the best method of working the estate i dare say if miss galindo had been as intimate as formerly at the hall we should all of us have heard of this new acquaintance of the agents long before we did as it was i am sure my lady never dreamed that the captain who held opinions that were even more church and king than her own could ever have made friends with a baptist baker from birmingham even to serve her ladyship's own interests in the most loyal manner we heard of it first from mr gray who came now often to see my lady for neither he nor she could forget the solemn tie which the fact of he being the person to acquaint her with my lord's death had created between them for true and holy words spoken at that time though having no reference to aught below the solemn subject of life and death had made her withdraw her opposition to mr gray's wish about establishing a village school she had sighed a little it is true and was even yet more apprehensive than hopeful as to the result but almost as if as a memorial to my lord she had allowed a kind of rough schoolhouse to be built on the green just by the church and had gently used the power she undoubtedly had in expressing her strong wish that the boys might only be taught to read and write and the first four rules of arithmetic while the girls were only to learn to read and to add up in their heads and the rest of the time to work at mending their own clothes knitting stockings and spinning my lady presented the school with more spinning wheels than there were girls and requested that there might be a rule that they should have spun so many hanks of flax and knitted so many pairs of stockings before they were ever taught to read at all after all it was but making the best of a bad job with my poor lady but life was not what it had been to her i remember well the day that mr gray pulled some delicately fine yarn and i was a good judge of those things out of his pocket and laid it and a capital pair of knitted stockings before my lady as the first fruits so to say of his school i recollect seeing her put on her spectacles and carefully examine both productions then she passed them to me this is well mr gray i am much pleased you are fortunate in your schoolmistress she has had both proper knowledge of womanly things and much patience who is she one out of our village my lady said mr gray stammering and colouring in his old fashion miss bessie is so very kind as to teach all those sorts of things miss bessie and miss galindo sometimes my lady looked at him over her spectacles but she only repeated the words miss bessie and paused as if trying to remember who such a person could be and he if he had then intended to say more was quelled by her manner and dropped the subject he went on to say that he had thought it his duty to decline the subscription to his school offered by mr brooke because he was a dissenter 
that he mr gray feared that captain james through whom mr brooke's offer of money had been made was offended at his refusing to accept it from a man who held heterodox opinions nay whom mr gray suspected of being infected by dodwell's heresy i think there must be some mistake said my lady or i have misunderstood you captain james would never be sufficiently with a schismatic to be employed by that man brooke in distributing his charities i should have doubted until now if captain james knew him indeed my lady he not only knows him but is intimate with him i regret to say i have repeatedly seen the captain and mr brooke walking together going through the fields together and people do say my lady looked up in interrogation at mr gray's pause i disapprove of gossip and it may be untrue but people do say that captain james is very attentive to miss brooke impossible said my lady indignantly captain james is a loyal and religious man i beg your pardon mr gray but it is impossible end of section fourteen